Here we go. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science is fuck. Welcome to Science AF. Welcome to Science AF. Welcome to Science AF. I'm your host, Dr. Chacho. And I'm not a doctor, but I'm science as fuck. Welcome to the show, the podcast, the Netflix series of the future, the Twitch stream of the current. And now with Echo. Capability, technology. We have mastered. Wait, I need this. We have mastered the science of Echo. So we'll be sure to use it a lot. We can also. Make my voice sound like this. Oh, maybe like this. Maybe I should do the whole show with this cool, low, new voice. Or I'll just do it normally. As I said, I'm your host, Dr. Chacho, and I'm not a doctor, but I'm science as fuck. I have been hosting ScienceAFPod.com for, lo, these many years, and if you're just finding it, congratulations, you're one of an elite few that know it exists. Science AF is a podcast that can be found in all of your favorite podcasting uh, uh, programs, apps, uh, aggregators, uh, uh, worms, web crawlers, uh, including Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. ScienceAFPod.com is the website and science underscore af on twitch for the live streams which we do most saturday afternoons not all because sometimes depression wins over content can we get these labels up on the screen if you're watching the live stream We have some text that just popped up. It says gravyday.com is the website, the streaming network, the, 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 the podcast organization where you can go to find uh, this podcast in its audio form. Some say it's most 
pure form. It's like the, uh, you know, the good stuff, the uncut, pure black tar podcast. Uh, is black tar the pure stuff or is it the gross stuff? The China white of podcasts. You can Venmo us at Gravy Day. That goes to that Gravy Day organization, which is mostly this show and a few other shows that are also funny. Setflix with Jimmy Pardo is on there. Tickets are available for that live Twitch. No, it's uh, uh, it's not on Twitch. It's a live stream that you can buy tickets for the Nowhere Theater. But I regress. Gravy Day also has a Patreon.com slash Gravy Day if you wish to support, uh, you, you know, the, the, the hosting, the, serve, the web server that, that has all the stuff on it, uh, uh, this show... Uh, Setflix, uh, some other shows. Also, Etsy.com slash shop slash Gravy Day. Okay, those are all ways that you can support. Let's talk about some science today. What do we got coming up? Let's see. Uh, uh, we have a lot of great stories. Let's just take a look real quick. In, in I, 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 AI... Uh, uh, has been uh, has has finally kicked ass at Pitfall. AI has beaten '80s video games. They already beat chess, checkers, and Go. Now, Pitfall. Okay, what else we got? Underweight? What? Lab-grown black hole behaves like Stephen Hawking said it would. Wait, what? All right, we'll take a look at that in a little space bit. Madness. It's space madness. All right. Well, I auto-tripped that Ren the cut, the, 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 the Ren soundbite. Okay, in space madness, we're going to take a look at a solar panel in space collecting energy to beam back to Earth. Sounds very cool. Can't wait till that's common can't wait till the space labor lasers are real under common nonsense we're going to talk about the chicken and egg problem and why we should stop saying chicken and egg problem because it's not a problem at least not uh, uh, literally we know the egg came before the chicken but let's take a closer look and in bye for now another starship explosion the third spacex big fucking rocket has exploded Sign. and burned oops oh. okay I, I, I didn't mean to trip that theme we're all still learning here and that's the future of the show front that's that's called a front cell did I sell it? Was it was it front enough? Was it sell enough? Let's go 
into the science. I, I'm trying to come up with a new catchphrase. We, we used to say on the science jerks, we used to say, let's do some science, uh, which was a good catchphrase. But, but uh, 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 like all living things and podcasts, we must evolve. So let's science up our science mobile first story i i i if you're listening to this and not looking at the pictures that's ai 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 i hope that tracks as a topic i i i Humans team up with a new kind of AI to crush notoriously difficult video game. Well, I don't remember Pitfall being notoriously difficult. I think it was pretty fun, but um, after a while, it kind of repeated itself. Uh, but this is another milestone, I guess, in AI. Uh, we had AI beat the best human chess player in the 90s and AI beat the best human Go player a couple years ago in like 2015 or 16. Maybe even more recent than that. What else? Uh, uh, was it Watson that was went on Jeopardy and kicked ass against some of the top human players? Now AI has kicked ass, as futurism puts it, at pinball. At pitfall, not pinball. This is not about pinball at all. Uh, so this AI, they had play old school video games like Pitfall and Montezuma's Revenge. Um, AI has been able to play video games for a while. Uh, games like uh, here's where it says it, classic, classic games like Super Mario Brothers uh, AIs have long excelled um, it's easy to boost your score little by little so it's almost like a, it's not random but AIs play those games with a reward system in mind get the most points randomly do things and if they pay off with more points and less death do those things more so that's kind of how ai works if just fumble around a little bit and then the, the fumbles that bring in the most coin get reinforced and that's learning and so you do if you if you if you're mario and you jump up and punch a brick and you get a million coins you keep doing that until you can't anymore uh, that's sort of, um, let's see, this is a futurism.com article. It was also on BBC news where they called that a, uh, intrinsic motivation. It's more a short term, uh, a focused goal such as smashing Goombas and in, in collecting coins it, the reason that pitfall and it also says here freeway 1981 
Montezuma's Revenge, 1984. These are more adventure-type games that have a lot of areas that you need to explore to do the best, to make the most points, to most impress your parents. You have to remember where you've been, and sometimes you have to go back. You have to return to a place uh, that... It says here, the problem with intrinsic motivation, uh, an algorithm can forget about promising areas that had already uh, passed up. Uh, this is not a d detachment. So, like, when you have a choice to branch into one area of the game or the other, intrinsic motivation just, you randomly choose one and you go and you keep going. Uh, those types of algorithms don't remember that there was a fork in the road and a, 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 and the path less traveled uh, so basically this is adding to the AI adding to the intrinsic motivation a map of the world where it can remember to go back sometimes if it gets stuck or uh, uh, to it's almost more of a, a, a breadth first search whereas intrinsic motivation would mostly be like called a depth first search which means you just keep going deeper and deeper into the maze deeper and deeper in the maze in a breadth first search you sort of you take little steps deeper into the maze but you try to explore all the areas at that level at that depth and then you go a little deeper but you try to explore all the areas at that depth and you don't just go down one path all the way deep to your inevitable senescence at least that's what I understood of it so uh, who did this this was uh, oh it was uber so there's a team, AI team at Uber, um, who are, of course, studying AI to put into their self-driving cars so that they may more easily hunt us down in the streets, death race style. And that's the science. Next topic. Wait, what? This is a new segment we're calling. Wait, what? And this article is about lab-grown black hole behaves just like Stephen Hawking said it would. Wait, what? There's lab-grown black holes? Well, not really. I skipped over an important word in that sentence. For dramatic val- oh wait. For dramatic value. Okay. A lab-grown black hole analog behaves just like Stephen Hawking said it would. 
have there been any black holes created by scientists on Earth? No. How do we know this? Because the Earth hasn't been sucked into a singularity? Not exactly true. Uh, we're going to look at this in a minute. A black hole could be created in New Jersey and not suck all the Earth into it. But let's take a look at this story first. This is a black hole analog uh, roughly created um, of, uh, uh, so out of sound. Not really. But in this analog, instead of light waves or photons, particles of light that also behave like waves, they're using phonons, which are quantum particles of sound. Just like light can sort of act like a particle or sort of act like a wave on a surface, depending on how you look at it. Sound waves also can look sort of like particles at the quantum level under certain conditions. Uh, sound waves, which are generally waves in air, in the fluid we live in, called air, uh, or, or they could propagate through uh, solids or, or, or liquids as well. You can hear underwater. You can hear under rock. <laughs> And you can hear in air. You can't hear in outer space because it needs something to, to ripple on. Um, so, researchers have put together a black hole analog, which was sort of like, uh, okay, well, here's 8,000 rubidium atoms cooled to near absolute zero and held in a laser beam pretty cool so they have these atoms all in a very low energy state squished together and they be, they go into a state of matter known as the Bose-Einstein condensate or Beck famous folk rock guitarist when atoms are in that state they act in unison as if they were a single atom that's cool. So they, in this, like, uh, uh, sitting suspended in this laser beam, hovering there, is an atom the size of 8,000 rubidium atoms. And rubidium atoms aren't small. I don't know how many protons they have. But basically, you have a, a giant atom. Probably still smaller than you can see with the naked eye. But it's giant for an atom. Okay, it's not a black hole. So, but what they did, they added a second laser beam, creating a cliff of potential energy. The second laser beam added energy such that the gas began to flow. It says here flow like a rushing waterfall, but that gives the wrong connotation, like it was falling off. Imagine as a ball of rubidium, uh, this giant rubidium atom, and the water is rushing it's not really water but uh, uh the, the the it it's it's a ball of rushing liquid sort of 
that's all going around in a circle around the ball in various ways like clouds go around the earth they added energy until one half of the gas was flowing faster than the speed of sound and the other half of the gas is flowing slower so you have two different sort of liquids in this ball moving at different speeds and in that form they can create phonons which are little what seem to be there's they're, they're sort of waves but they're also sort of act like particles little phonons and the phonons to the phonons this is a uh, an event horizon uh, a movie that, that's better in retrospect because I've seen it recently than I remembered it being. Uh, the, this, the event horizon stops. Well, it sort of creates a, a an analog to Hawking radiation. What's Hawking radiation? Yeah, we should we could uh, talk about that for a second. Um, let's go to the drawing board. Oh, is my drawing board working? Come on. Let's see if I can connect my tablet and go to this drawing board. It does not seem to be working very well. Okay. Well, Hawking radiation is something that Stephen Hawking uh, conjectured to exist, but he never proved it. In fact, it hasn't been proven at all, but we think it, it seems to be true, which is that a, a black hole, which is people generally know there's an event horizon around it that, that once you get past it, you can never get out of, even if you go as fast as if you run as fast as you possibly can as as you're even you Usain Bolt can't run his way out of this black hole once they get in they're stuck because there's this horizon now out in the space we know or at least there's this uh, the quantum mechanics says that little pairs of particles boop, are constantly popping in and out of existence and immediately they annihilate each other. It's like a, a matter and antimatter and they a piece of matter and a little piece of antimatter both pop up next to each other in space and they've fly around for a fraction of a second and then immediately like a little infinity symbol pop and, they make, and they, that's the sound they make and they disappear forever and this is happening everywhere in space there's little just boiling particles that are popping in and out of existence all the time it's sort of almost like the ether it's like the background noise of, of space but interesting thing about this uh, 
Event Horizon, a movie that I liked more than I thought I would when I rewatched it, is that sometimes these little virtual particles can pop up bing on one side and the other one bing on the other side of the event horizon. And Hawking said, what would happen if one of those particles had enough energy to zip away and the other one got sucked into the black hole. Now, instead of two little particles forming and then annihilating, you have two particles forming and staying put and staying in the universe and one of them uh, radiates out and the other one goes into the black hole and Hawking said well this would make black holes radiate energy out and also this particle that went in evaporates starts to uh, it, 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 it's think of it as antimatter. The little piece of antimatter evaporates the black hole. So he said, black holes don't last forever. They eventually they waste away like a puddle in Arizona in the summer. Let's go back. Which one? Where were we? Uh, we're on wait what? Okay. So that's what Hawking radiation is. And this experiment that was just done in um, the study co author, Jeff Steinhauer, from the Technion Israel Institute of Technology uh, is one of the people involved. Researchers at the Technion Israel's Institute of Technology did just that. Uh, and just that being creating their own black holes analog. It says black, which is why scientists are creating their own black holes. Okay, misleading. Here's an article from a couple years ago, 2016. Physicists have created a black hole in a lab that could could prove Hawking radiation exists. And guess what? So this new article, which is in LiveScience.com, from four days ago, well, they've done it. It took four years. Anyway, where were we? So just like the Hawking radiation is 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 light is photons, it's light light radiation evaporating off of the event horizon of a black hole, they found that phonons can radiate out from this sort of liquid uh, event horizon that they that they made in this rubidium atom. Um, what is a phonon? Let's take another look. This is Wikipedia. Phonon is a collective excitation in a periodic elastic arrangement of atoms or molecules in condensed matter, specifically in solids and some liquids, referred to as a quasi-particle. Okay, blah, blah, blah. It's sort of a wave. <clears throat> it's a wave in matter 
uh, but it's not, and it and it acts like a particle in some ways in uh, tiny, tiny, tiny places. <coughs> Excuse me, it's not COVID. Okay, one more thing on this topic: mini black holes. Here's an article from. 2013 mini black holes are easier to make than we thought okay i looked into it scientists have not created any black holes on earth yet and i remember some very breathless hysterical articles when the 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 cern particle accelerator opened that there might be mini black holes created by the Large Hadron Collider, or, or it says here, it, uh, scientists wondered if it might become a black hole factory, black, creating a black hole every second. So this article is saying for 2013 that it's actually theoretically much easier than we once thought to create a black hole from two tiny particles colliding. All you need is a certain density. When you get to a very high density, uh, even if it's a very tidy amount of matter, it could become a black hole. But notably, one common misconception about small black holes is that they would swallow the Earth. With as much confidence as we can say anything in science, this is impossible. Why? I know you're thinking, they shouldn't try to make black holes because they're tinkering with the earth ending uh it's absolutely not true tiny well, well according to stephen hawking tiny black holes should shrink uh via the evaporation of the hawking radiation we just talked about uh faster than they grow but even more reassuring uh even if they didn't evaporate, microscopic black holes would be uh, would be if they were created in a particle accelerator, they should keep enough speed to escape from Earth's gravity. Uh, what does that mean? I guess if if it got created in a particle accelerator, it'd probably shoot away and go somewhere else. But even if it did get trapped, they're so tiny it would take one it would take one of these mini black holes more than the current age of the universe to destroy even a milligram of earth matter the reason why a tiny black hole is way different than a black hole in space is because we we think of think of the the sun the mass of the sun uh most black holes are much more massive than the sun and that's billions and billions of times uh, what, a, what a, a mini tiny black hole would be. And it's important to remember that if our sun was replaced by a black hole with the same mass of the Earth, it would be, I mean, the same mass of the, the sun, we'd be fine, except we, we need the sunlight. But we wouldn't be pulled into it. We would just keep rotating we would keep uh, revolving uh around 
it just as if it was the sun because the gravity of a black hole the size of the sun is the same as the gravity of the sun at this distance gravity depends on the mass so we could be fine here if the sun was a black hole um, and we could be fine if tiny black holes appeared in our largest of hadron colliders just wanted to cover that because I used to be afraid of a tiny black hole in fact I read somewhere that if a tiny black hole the size of a miniature particle came screaming through the earth it might go right through you and you wouldn't even feel it and it would keep going so you might have been shot by a black hole and not even known it Wait, what? That's what. Next topic. Space Madness. Space Madness. Or just Space Madness. This topic today is about I'm just stalling while I pull up the right browser solar panel in space is collecting energy that could one day be beamed back to earth so this is very cool uh, the Pentagon has tested a solar panel the size of a pizza box which is designed as a prototype for a future system to send electricity back to earth Okay, it's called the Photovoltaic Radio Frequency Antenna Module, or PRAM. Uh, it was marched, it was launched last year in May, um, attached to the Pentagon's X-37B unmanned drone. We don't know much about what this drone is. Um, I think Air Force's mysterious X-37B sets new record for time and space. Oh, it's this big unmanned orbital vehicle. I think it, it flies really high in the atmosphere, almost in space, and it launches things out into space. Anyway, that's sort of a secret space plane, the X-37, but what's not a secret is Pram. The sling watch party was made for people like Carlos Whoa. and Bill and Dave. What's making and noise? Anyone who's missing out on what commercial out. dares interrupt my podcast? Okay, sling. You're on my list. Okay, so what uh, they have told us, even though much of the mission of the X 37 is secret, is that the Pram is a let's see um well it's a pizza box sized solar panel and it's sort of a proof of concept uh the idea being we could harvest a lot more solar energy if we were harvesting it above the clouds, in fact, outside of the Earth's atmosphere, you have a clear shot at the sun, 
and nothing in between uh, if you're on the right side of Earth. And uh, once that energy, well, the problem would be then how do you get the energy produced back to Earth? Um, but first of all, this 12 by 12 inch panel with one foot on e each side uh, pr produced 10 watts of energy. That's enough to power a tablet computer. So you could you could run your iPad. You could you charge up your iPad off of it. That's not a lot. But the idea is it's free energy, and all we need to do is get it back to Earth. Uh, if we had a, imagine if there was a billion of these things and they could somehow get the energy back to Earth, it would solve some of our renewable uh, uh, energy crisis right now. Um, it actually has other implications for global warming as well, but let's keep going here. Um, the users yet to actually send power back to Earth, but that technology has been proven. Uh, okay, if the project develops, okay, they're talking about huge space solar antenna. It could be microwaves that would then be converted into free electricity back home. So what they're saying is, let's go back to the drawing board. The drawing board. New blueprint. The idea being that this little pizza box in space gets all its free energy from the sun. Uh, and then on Earth, you have, here's Earth. On Earth, you have these little receiver arrays which are little antenna down here and the pizza box could pinpoint it and what happens is the pizza box the, I mean the antenna down earth sends a carrier signal so first the antenna sends a signal up bump 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 bump, bump to the pizza box the pizza box uses that to find out exactly where the antenna is and make sure it's got a clear shot. Pew! And it sends by microwaves pew, the energy down here. Now, that's just enough to power a iPad, but imagine there were hundreds or even millions of these pew, and all beaming back pew, microwaves. Pew, pew, pew to the same antenna. Now this antenna eventually, the idea being it could light an entire city or more, the whole earth. Very cool. Space Madness. Back to Space Madness. That's how the technology is is envisioned to work um uh, one point of clarification uh 
these microwaves send back are not harmful to people as far as we know they would be a very low energy sort of beam of microwaves coming back down and i know you remember uh was it weird science no what was the one uh uh what was the other weird science science af real real genius i know you remember real genius and i know that you've heard certain anti-semitic far-right congress people about the uh, 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 space lasers in real genius they used it to pop some popcorn and it was pretty cool but this is not going to be used to make space lasers Maybe space lasers could happen in hundreds of years, but let's not worry about space lasers right now. Right now, lasers are pretty good at light. We have light lasers. Uh, heat lasers, lasers that can actually burn things, are really big and hard to make. I know you, you, can, you can find some DIY kits where you can make lasers at home that could burn like wood at... Uh, 20 feet away uh that's cool but to build a laser in space that would actually be able to burn anything of significance on earth would be gigantic we would see it we would know it was there uh it, it it's not going to be done in secret so anyway there's no giant space lasers these we're talking about little beams of microwaves that could send a tiny bit an ipad sized uh, packet of energy to the earth and we could cover the sky with them and possibly at some point in the future solve our renewable energy problem back to the drawing board for a second one other thing to note is that uh some of the heating of the earth could be mitigated by a fleet of millions of pizza box solar panels in the sky or rather in space above the sky and reflecting or absorbing some of the energy before it comes to earth uh, some of the heat energy and that could be used also to combat global warming uh the amount of actual heat energy that hits the earth determines uh, to some extent how much warming is going to happen. And, and if our earth, if the climate becomes two, three, four degrees hotter, having a whole fleet in space to cut down the sunlight by 90% might be another way to save us from the Earth becoming a bubbling pot of Venus. Our next topic, bubbling pot of Venus. I can't, can't leave it on that. From the Earth becoming an untenable crockpot of evil next topic 
Kamen nonsense. Or just common nonsense. Today in comic nonsense. Uh, we want to talk about the chicken and egg problem. Common nonsense is a segment where we take a look at something that people say a lot that is not true. Something that's commonly held that's not true. Now, there's actually a little bit of cool science involved here. But first, let's talk about the chicken and egg problem. The chicken and egg problem is not a problem. Anyone who's graduated from high school science should know that the chicken and egg problem has been long ago solved, the actual literal one. And we know that there have been eggs on Earth for millions and perhaps billions of years before chickens. And we know that the first chicken came out of an egg that was laid by not a chicken. Now, uh, before we get into why that's true, and we know it's true, let's take a look at this little bit of science. Uh, it, it's called, it's from sciencedaily.com uh, from March 2nd, 2021. It says the chicken and egg problem, origin of life, the chicken and egg problem. Terrible title, because what really happened is uh, tRNA or transfer RNA uh, was replicated in a lab and was found uh, let's see to replicate exponentially uh, basically what it, it means is uh, stable RNA was produced very easily in a lab which demonstrated that in a you know uh, a heat vent in the ocean a billion years ago it's not all that uh, much of a leap to, to to believe that RNA to these reproducing like DNA and these kinds of things uh, reproducing molecules that all life is based on could have spontaneously formed okay there is no for lack of a better term chicken or egg problem uh, I like to call it the bootstrap problem in in computers we call it the bootstrap problem which is you need uh, uh, two things that depend on each other uh, and each one of them seems to need the other to exist so how did the first one come to be and so Let's see. This is in the in Munich, the Ludwig Maximilians Universität. Universität. I don't know exactly how they say it. Um, has shown that slight, let's see, slight alterations in transfer RNA molecules allowed them to self-assemble into a functional unit that could replicate information exponentially. It sort of means that they were able to create tRNA. Uh, and and they were able to replicate themselves, and and they're basically stable. They're not unstable in the sense that they were able to start 
replicating exponentially and not die out from mutations or something. Um, so it says here, here we have the classic example of chicken and egg problem. Let's call it the bootstrap problem. Proteins are required for transcription of genetic information, but their synthesis itself depends on transcription. Um, okay, so these physicists found that minor modifications in the structures of modern tRNA molecules permit them to autonomous, autonomously interact and form some kind of replication model which is capable of exponentially replicating information. Uh, um, this finding implies that tRNA could have been the crucial link between replication and transliving, translation in the earliest living systems. Okay, let's see. I highlighted this other thing here. Like the later steps in the evolution of life, the evolution of replication and translation and the complex relationship between them was not the result of a sudden single leap. It's better understood as a culmination of an evolutionary journey. Okay. Here's another... Okay, I... I honestly don't understand exactly what all of this RNA stuff that this experiment did was, but they showed that RNA can sort of be created in a lab or uh, and be stable. Um, here's a picture from Wikipedia that shows a tRNA. Uh, uh, it's sort of an intermediator between the messenger RNA and a, uh, a peptide chain here that it's putting together one of the uh, proteins that they have to make. Okay, cool science. I don't exactly understand it, but cool science. Science Daily. Let's not call it a chicken and egg problem. Let's take a look at the chicken and egg problem. That's what this rant is supposed to be about. It's common nonsense. We know, uh, obviously, it's, it's the chicken and egg problem is more of a philosophical problem. It's been around since, um, I think, where did I see? Uh, Plutarch posed the question as a philosophical matter in matter in his essay the symposiacs written in the first century common era uh, aristotle writing the fourth century before common era concluded that um, there was an infinite sequence with no true origin basically saying the chicken and egg problem is is a philosophical way of saying how do things begin that seem to be around forever the problem with the literal with literally saying the chicken and egg problem is we really really know well that the eggs have been around since way before chickens in fact let's go back to the drawing board for a second eggs have been around for billions of years whereas chickens maybe uh, hundreds of thousands modern chickens just a few thousand back before so here's I'm going to draw something if you're listening uh, here's land here's water okay why does the water drop off like that okay and 
there's land animals. Here's the chicken. Oh, it looks like a chicken. Here's a fish. Fish have been laying eggs. Even before there was land animals, fish had eggs. Even before there was fish, amoebas, little single-celled organisms, exchanged packets of DNA. They, you know, evolved. As soon as life was around, it was swapping DNA. And at some point, a little, a little bag of DNA was swapped from one thing to the other and that thing started throwing little bags of DNA out there and eggs were born. This is billions of years ago, before there were even animals on earth. Fish laying eggs. Fish eventually evolved into things that walked on land more like lizards uh, there's a little lizard tongue and uh, I don't know how to draw a lizard I put an antenna on the lizard I don't think lizards have antennas um, okay this is a lizard they lay eggs eventually lizards turned into birds they lay eggs somewhere along the way they branched off into mammals they have internal eggs this is a little cute mammal they have eggs so eggs have been around for way longer than chickens but so how did the first chicken become come out of an egg well the first chicken was born out of an egg that was laid by a proto-chicken. Something that wasn't a chicken. Of course, the difference between a chicken and the thing that came before, evolutionarily, before the chicken, is very slight. And it actually didn't happen one day. It happened over uh, a thousand years, slowly proto-chickens, other birds started to become more like the chickens that we know of in very, in one little aspect at a time over thousands of years or at least hundreds of years just tiny changes that went from one bird into a chicken. So I guess you could say if you really wanted to, there was one first chicken that would, it is what we thought of as a chicken but that came out of an egg that was laid by something that wouldn't be a chicken, a proto-chicken. And of course, that, that species of proto-chicken uh, eventually started from a proto-chicken that was hatched out of an egg that wasn't laid by its own species. It's something that came before it. And all the way back to lizards and fish and protozoa or whatever. So there is no chicken and egg problem. Uh, put more simply by Neil deGrasse Tyson, it says here, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The egg laid by a bird that was not a chicken. 
a more accurate answer on this Wikipedia page. It's the first amniote egg, uh, that is a hard-shelled egg that could be laid on land rather than water, appeared around 300 million years ago. Uh, let's see. In contrast, domestic, uh, domestic chickens are descendants of red jungle fowl and probably rose little more than 8,000 years ago. Domestic chickens are actually made by humans through genetic engineering of a sort, not literal lab-based engineering, but the fact that we selected the fattest and tastiest chickens and turned red jungle fowl into what we know of today as chicken by this number 300 million years after the first egg on earth and probably a billion years since the first egg in the sea um well that's about that rant so don't say chicken and egg you know it was the egg let's call it a bootstrap problem because we still cannot lift ourselves up by our bootstraps as an aside, what was the red jungle fowl, I thought? Well, looks kind of like a chicken. But this, in fact, if you're looking at the picture I'm looking at, is a red jungle fowl, not a chicken. Did you know that chickens are from the jungles of Asia? This is um, Southeast Asia, red jungle fowl. There's also green jungle fowl jungle fowl not green notably there's a little green on them it looks like a rooster all right um gray jungle fowl sri lankan jungle fowl and oh here's a picture from wikipedia of a current chicken so in case you were wondering chickens are the descendants of jungle beasts of Southeast Asia good to know and once and for all the egg came before the chicken let there be no doubt in fact let me say it this way the egg came before the chicken motherfucker so let's not pretend it's still an issue our final story bye for now the SpaceX just exploded its third big fucking rocket uh, in a test in Texas this week or last week perhaps this was the SN10 prototype of the the Starship which they used originally was called the big fucking rocket BFR they're calling it I think the SpaceX Starship um, they exploded SN8 last year 2020 I believe they exploded SN9 uh, in January of 2021 and just last week they exploded SN10 
But after a successful landing, it was pretty cool. Let's take a look at. Oh wait, let's start this over. So, oh, this isn't. Um, I wanted to show some of the the takeoff. Let's, let's see, SpaceX SN10 launch. So the launch actually went really well and it flew and even landed Hi. pretty much without really? incident Five, four, before three, exploding. Two, one, ignition. We have liftoff. We got to go down. Look at that thing. It looks like a silo it's like a flying barn FC2, please prepare for section it's a big shiny metal tube and I guess it has three thrusters uh, got up to I think I read what was the height it's a few 10 miles maybe or something Went, and went a few miles up and then the cool thing is it just at some point it just Coming hovers eight kilometers altitude we're getting eight ready kilometers. to shut down the second engine this is intentional and then it it just sort of hangs there look at this it just it's eight kilometers in air and it's just floating you have floating silo a floating barn eight kilometers in the air and then it starts falling and this is awesome it does this belly flop which is this controlled fall on its belly instead of erect sort of a flaccid flop rather than its erect takeoff and it's sort of now it's a falling giant barn but it's, when it gets close to the ground, it shoots off the rockets again. It erects itself straight up. And look at this landing. So cool. The one rocket, you can see it's on fire there. Okay, that's, just, that's foreshadowing. But anyway, it landed like a champ using its one little movable rocket touchdown still pointing straight up awesome very successful except oops what's the difference between your lawn uh -oh. and a true green lawn i've ruined everything by true green lawns are treated to be healthy from well as you could see when it landed it had a little fire on the side so it, it worked, it just caught on fire after it landed and then exploded. And let's watch that landing and explosion in slow motion from futurism.com. Actually from Cosmic Perspective, YouTube.
and subscribe. There, it landed. You can see people cheering as the smoke clears. It looks very successful, except, oh, look, at there's a little fire at the bottom. And the fire's getting bigger. It makes me want to choke the up right fire's now, getting a little bigger. And we just, are, uh, we just heard the shock and the song. boom It hits. The fire hits the fuel tank and explodes, throwing that barn another 100 feet into the air. Isn't it beautiful? And let's wait for it to come back to its final resting place. Kaboom. And the camera even shakes on that. That was a good explosion. And that bird's like, Hey, I'm trying to sleep over here. Uh, one more thing on that. So I said the SN8, 9, and 10. Somebody put together, uh, uh, this is Cyan Teacher Plus, a side-by-side -side comparison of all the three BFRs that have flown. They're very successful, except Oh, I triggered the ads. Hurry up, ad. Need to end this show. We're down below two kilometers. We're preparing to light three Raptor engines to begin the flip sequence. It'll culminate. So, ooh, here's the three landing sequences. The one on the right. The reason you're not ads again. In your shampoo. No matter what hair growth products you use, your My hair is fine. I'm a cartoon. You can see the one on the far right is, uh, uh, I guess we call that the Republican one. On the far right, it's safely. Uh, the one in the middle, crash and burn. Uh, on the left, oh, look at that beautiful landing flip. Horiz uh, horizontal, vertically, I mean. And, oh, it's landing just a little too fast. And, explode. And then, the one on the right. Eventually. Oh, they don't show it. Catching fire and exploding. And that's our show! Can we get that Science theme song? AF. This has been Science AF. Science AF. Actually, let's stop the theme song for a second. Science AF is a po weekly-ish podcast that can be found on any podcast reader in audio form. It's also scienceafpod.com, and it's available on gravyday.com. Uh, the video segments will be available on YouTube don't have a, a slash YouTube name yet because they don't have enough subscribers. We just started doing the video segments. So go to YouTube. Please like and subscribe those. Let's see. What else? Uh, 
you could join our Patreon for full episodes of the video portion of the show. That's the only way you can see the full video episodes. That's how we get you. Join our Patreon. Um, that could be fun at patreon.com slash gravy day. Also, look at our etsy.com slash shop slash gravy day for in little uh, uh, 3D printed trinkets and inventions. Uh, Gravyday.com, I already said. Venmo, if you would like to one time donate, it would be very welcome. At Gravy Day, I have been your host, Dr. Chacho. I'm not a doctor, but there's a tip jar at gravyday.com slash tip slash chacho. If you feel like, if you have a spare, some spare change rolling around in your pocket, or if you, if you have too many millions of dollars to even know what to do with, you can tip me one of them. Just throw me a million, no questions asked. Follow me on all the socials at Dave Chacho. Follow the podcast at Science AF Pod. Now let's play the theme and let's sing along. Science AF. Science. Science. Science AF. Science. Science. Science AF. Science. Science. Science AF. Science. 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 Science